there's never been a better time to be a direct-to-consumer brand. Join us as we uncover the strategies and scaling secrets of the world's most disruptive brands and agencies. This is Direct to Consumer by Pilothouse. Hello and welcome to DTC uh, Direct to Consumer. This is our uh, podcast. This is all killer, no filler. Today we are talking about email with our head of email, Julia Normand, as well as Jeff Shannon, co-founder of Pilothouse and uh, leopard print aficionado, uh, Brett Turner, <laughs> Tiger King, Brett Kerner, t- Brett that, Turner is what I should say. That's why we hired him. Purely I've had a lot his... of titles, but that one definitely takes the cake. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're looking good today, buddy. You're looking good. Thank so you. we basically, uh, you know, it became very apparent uh, from, from our, our set of clients and, and what was kind of working in the space that we needed to build out an email team. Uh, and so Julian has kind of been leading the charge on that side of things. Uh, we're, you know, looking for, for email clients. We're, we're bringing email clients, you know, we're, uh, our current clients, we're expanding our offering um, to offer them email as well. And I think what we wanted to talk about on the podcast today was just the way that email uh, and how utterly important it is, especially when it works in combination with, uh, you know, your holistic marketing efforts. Uh, so Julian, if you could just start, let's, let's just talk a little bit about like your sort of, uh, sort of concept of, of how, of how email plays into someone's e-commerce flows. Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of e-commerce, it, it's a major, major revenue booster. You know, if you've got, if you've got any sort of opt-in on your website, um, and you've got people regularly asking you to send them content, they're also asking you to send them offers. And, um, and that's something that every brand should be capitalizing on. Um, as well as uh, nurturing them through their customer journey, which I, I think is um, ultimately more important uh, than getting that, you know, that initial sale. It's more about how do you follow up with them after the sale? Uh, how are you generating UGC, generating reviews, um, and, and making that person feel really, really intimately connected with the brand? Very cool. There's a lot of people that look at email as a secondary driver but a lot of people seem to forget and it's, it's it, i shouldn't like i mean there's lots of people that know email they know they should be doing it they send out newsletters but they forget that like it's a free channel basically i mean you know once you've got it once you've sold those customers on something you have this amazing free uh platform to to sell more products upsell do exactly what julian said get more content you should be taking advantage of that as much as you possibly can no question yeah. And one of, one of the biggest things too we're seeing on, on the lead gen side at least is like in the world we live in right now where everything's direct response, you're trying to sell things first touch point, it's moving so fast. Um, you don't have much time to establish your brand and what you are and build trust with the consumer. Like you really only have that one minute attention window that you're working with. So we're finding that for a lot of our brands, especially that are running shorter forms on a lead generation property, using email to really build that trust and kind of have the customer have, be confident in their willingness to take those next steps. Other than that, it's just a website that looked at for 30 seconds and you can do as much as you can and write as much copy as you want, but you really need to be able to establish those like next levels of trust and next levels of intimacy really with the customer. Um, and email is a huge channel to do that. Again, outside of selling them on anything, it's, it's just a trust building tool. Yeah, and, and, and you paid a shit ton. Like paid advertising isn't cheap, you know? You paid a shit ton to get that consumer in, especially if you're, you know, high value search clicks, 
you know, Facebook, you know, whatever. It's, it's expensive to get these consumers. So you like, you should do everything in your power to hold on to them. You know, retargeting is one way to do that, but um, you know, email is, is, is no question top tier in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great way to squeeze out every little bit of value from that connection that you get with the consumer and, and to be able to do it like regularly over time, multiple times, you know, depending on what sort of brand you're running or what sort of business you're running, you, you can do it multiple times a week and, and constantly be top of mind with these people. Mm-hmm. So what's, what's the right mix? I guess it's going to depend on the client, but you can't just hammer people with offers over and over again too, right? Like I look at, I look at CrossNet, uh, one of, one of the first podcasts we did, uh, with Chris Mead taking, uh, you know, his, his extra revenue from email up to hundred K in, in his first month, uh, you know, from, from implementing a, a, an aggressive email program. And he talked a lot about education being the main thrust of, of his emails to make sure, especially after they've purchased it, that they're using it because, you know, when you use a product like CrossNet, other people are going to see it and it's going to become this other, you know, it's, 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 it, it, it's really on you to make sure that, that people are using your product as visually as possible so that they can, they can sell it on there. So what is the, like, how do you find the right balance between offers and education and engagement in emails? Yeah, I would say that it, it entirely depends on, on the business model and also, you know, like, and, and the product, like something like CrossNet, uh, like you said, it's very, very visual once it's being used. So, but it could also be one of those things that you buy and just leave in your garage for like three years if nobody tells you how to use it. So, um, so you know, if, if your product has a specific setup or uh, has a specific use case, uh, then really getting that information to the user uh, post-purchase, pre-purchase, at any point in their buying journey is going to be really, really helpful to educate them and, and get them using it in a way that, that's beneficial for your brand long-term. Um, I would say, to answer your question, I think probably about 30% promotional, and then, and, and, you know, 30 to 40% promotional, 60 to, um, and then about 60 to 70% um, content-based, if you can. Uh, a lot of brands love to just do promotion, uh, but we, we find that you lose a lot of attention really fast or you just lose, um, you lose those touch points over time with people and they just stop caring. So it's really good to have that balance of, of like a 60-40 split between uh, real, useful, valuable content and promotional material. Yeah. <laughs> Julian, do you, have a, do you have a rule of thumb for how quickly you can, like let's say someone comes into my, my site, submits an email, how quickly do you hit them with promotional content? Um, or do you have like a rule of thumb where you're like, okay, they're not going to get anything for two weeks because we want to want to warm them up through content and then hit them with promotional stuff. Or is it the other way around where it's like, okay, we need to hit them quickly with promotional to make sure they take action. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, it's, it's actually changed quite a bit. I think, um, you know, when I initially started in email, it, it, it was very much like a, this is just a selling point. Like this is where you can get a, another spot where you can get that sale. Um, but what, what I've noticed a lot of other brands doing recently is having um, really, really soft CTAs in their, in their initial emails. So uh, very educational based, like a welcome series kind of introing you to the brand with just a try now button instead of like a buy now, like you got to get it right now kind of thing. But those, uh, those CTAs become a little more hard and more directive as you go through that, that initial welcome series. So if you start off, light, uh, intro the brand, um, establish a story for it. Uh, you can, you can really start to get a little bit more aggressive as you go, as you go down that first series. Um, but, but it's important to really make sure 
that the person realizes when they sign up for email that they're not just going to get blasted with promotions. You want to, you want to really help them set those expectations up front. And, and we very, very similar to that. We've seen the same thing on the lead generation side where, um, if like where the products actually not necessarily even sold by the time we have the email and we, we have to use email as this channel to finally close off that lead. Um, we found a lot of the time if, if we open up right away with, with a hard sell, we lose that person right away and there's no retention at all. Um, just using open rates as a metric we, we'd see. So if we hit them first touch, all right, here you go. Here's what you asked for. Take it now. Click here. Um, we'd see a, a 30% open rate on that email and then the past ones like a 10% if that. Whereas if we had some nice, like you said, two or three nurturing contents, like, oh, here's what the service is, here's how it could help you, here's some other happy customers, um, we're able to maintain that 30% open rate all the way up into the point where we decide to drop the, the hard sell and then pass that on further promotional content for upsells as well. So we, we found the exact same thing where that first like soft nurture process is absolutely key to both A, um, grab your first sale, and B, build trust for that list. Because I found, Julian, you're probably a better person to speak with this than me, but I found as soon as your brand breaks trust, however you do that, be it with too many sales or a sale too soon, you've lost that person permanently. It's not like you're gonna, they're gonna open your next email. Like as soon as they decide this isn't something I'm interested in, they're not clicking your emails anymore. You don't have a second chance. Yeah, it's, it's really, really hard once you've lost that trust. You're right, Brett. And, and, um, and I did just want to kind of touch on, on what I said earlier. It's okay to give them an offer in the first email or in the first series, uh, but it just doesn't want to be your focus. Like a lot of e-commerce brands you'll see, they open up with like a 10% discount and it's a super low friction, um, easier, easy barrier to entry option to get the people who really do just want to buy to buy right away but it, it's, it's not usually the focus of that welcome series. The focus is the intro to the brand, building that trust um, and, and you know, nurturing that customer journey. And if you don't, if you don't do that and you go, right for the, you go right for the jugular and you go for the sale, um, yeah, you, you can really lose the trust really fast and, and it's, it's hard to gain back. Totally. So where are we with platforms right now? I know uh, as, a, as an agency, we're, we're agnostic. I know we have specialty with, with one particular platform, but where do we sit with like the, the leading platforms today? Um, are you talking in terms of like uh, email service providers? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, definitely depending on what your business's needs are, uh, you know, lead generation, uh, is a whole different ballgame than e-com. So a uh, totally different set of needs there. There's often way, way more touch points um, on, the, on the lead gen side, I, I, I've noticed at least. Um, I'd say for e-com, we're sitting with Clavio, uh, MailChimp for, and, and MailChimp mainly. Uh, and then we've noticed some of our other clients, especially on the lead gen side, are using things like Zoho who have, that have like much more... Um, complex automations surrounding uh, how email gets sent out based on certain triggers or just on a, a touch point that's not email based. Yeah, I was just looking, I wanted to go back a little bit with, with Brett here too on, on this particular case that we, we've all kind of worked on. One of our clients um, is a lead generation client. They've got uh, a service that sort of takes a certain amount of time, takes, takes a couple months to kind of to happen. And during that service, during that time, our goal with this campaign was just to increase touch points, increase 
um, th their ability to pick up the phone when they got called, the, 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 you know, to, to, to meet an appointment when they have an appointment, to just sort of stay within the timelines of this offer. Um, and I think the result, we don't have like, we don't have hardcore results yet on, on it increasing sales 10x or anything like that, but we do have some really strong signals that sending multi, these, this multiple touch point, whether it's through email, through SMS, through phone calling, coordinating it all through, you know, one uh, unified brand voice is really working wonders on like the, just sort of the perceptions of the business and the, the and the likelihood that they're actually going to close the sale. What are, what are you finding with that, Brett? So yeah, just, just to speak to a little bit more of the client, like Eric said, the, the nature of this flow is it requires like multiple touch points before the sale has happened. Um, so once we connect, connect or contact the initial lead rather, um, there's five, six, seven, eight steps of follow-up that need to happen before we get to the final sale. Um, so what we saw before is the first touch point in this funnel, it's obviously a phone call from, from a call center. Um, and at that point, it gets more and more aggressive as far as how much information is needed from the user. Um, so we saw literally within one or two days of, of implementing a very well-built-out email flow that just like Julian said, it's a, it's a nurturing process. It's a, here's what's going to happen. Here's a little bit more about the service. Here's every question you might have answered already right out of the gate. And we saw immediately the contactability on the, the second contact point go up a measurable amount, even just within the first few days. And to get conclusive results like that right off the bat is pretty insane. And the, the really exciting thing to me there is obviously we, we just implemented this a few months ago and we haven't seen it fully come to fruition yet just due to the long flow. Um, but the, the big value in an email flow like that comes at the very end of the funnel when we're getting the sales. Like, is this eventually going to make a difference? But the fact that we're seeing early stage metrics improve so much so quickly is a tremendous sign. And honestly, and it's not like anything we've seen before. And it's it's all come down to this really intensive email, SMS, post-conversion follow-up flow that we've built. I think one thing to add to that, Brett, that was, was really well said, is that it changed the um, post-form submit conversion to instead of the user receiving a phone call, they're making the phone call. So they get they get an email right away saying, hey, quick, phone this number. You can, you know, chat with uh, someone in our call center right away, and they're actually doing that, which just drives up the intent, um, and 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 you know keeps them on their front foot, opposed to on their back foot when they're just receiving a call out of nowhere. Um, it makes it way more intent driven, which, like Brett said, turns into a much happier customer, much more uh, ready to convert customer. And like, and it really comes down to like, I, I mean, we're all we're all mark marketers, we're all analytical, but like, you just really have to flip yourself and imagine if you're that user. Like, really, we were. Like the, in, the niche we're working here is in the medical niche, something that's very private and how very close to people. Um, and we're doing prospecting, direct response marketing on it. A lot of the times, this first touch we're doing on Facebook where they're submitting their information, it's the first time they've ever heard of this company. Like you really just have to think, if I was this person, sure, I might've filled out my information, I was interested, but this next thing this is a huge process. This involves a lot of different things. This could be a big part of my life. Like, what am I gonna do here? Why, like me being like, me being a person, I would want to learn more research and everything. What, how much better it would be to have that delivered me on a silver platter in an email, opposed to me going to have to look up, oh, is this legit? Oh, how does this work? Oh, what's this process like? If we could deliver that to that person and not only A, overcome their um, all their reservations, but B, save them the effort of doing all that research themselves, it just goes such a long way. Like it, to me, again, to me as a user, that would be like of infinite value. 
Tracy. I, I, just another question here randomly. Uh, there's, there's some debate and I know it's going to depend on the client as well, but Julian, like what are your, what goes into you thinking about whether an email gets sent as plain text or as like an HTML, like slick looking design? Like what's your thought process as to what is going to sort of serve the situation better? Um, I think a lot of it comes down to the customer's needs, right? Uh, or, or their expectations. So um, you'll, you'll generally find uh, direct response, long form copy uh, has uh, a really, really good uh, response with, uh, you know, maybe let's say the older than millennial demographic. Um, they're not, they, they aren't typically used to seeing flashy images. Like they, they haven't grown up with that. Whereas, you know, the, the millennial, millennials and younger than millennials, we, we all kind of grew up with, um, with really snap, our advertisements are much more animated, much more active. So you really have to consider that. Um, but that's not the only limitation. And, and it shouldn't, you shouldn't really try and stick to that as a, as a, uh, a guiding principle. Uh, because long form copy as opposed to imagery can be utilized in so many different ways. Um, like, for instance, in a lot of the e-com flows uh, that we build, we like to start with a plain text email, uh, even though the rest of the emails are highly engaging and animated, because that first plain text email looks like it's coming from a founder or somebody high up in the company. It looks personal. And, and sometimes it's, it's a it is a legitimate message from the founders saying, you know, hey, thanks for taking the chance on us. So um, I, I wouldn't say there's a... a a rule so much as like use your best judgment test both and see uh see what performs better for you um and, and just kind of measure your results and make make your decisions based off that data and, and like you say don't be afraid to have uh you know different kinds like like you say that first email coming from the founder is probably going to work best as as a plain text email that just looks like you know all the other emails they get from real people uh, at any given time but but if it's promotional you probably do want to have that maybe that that splashier image there so again just like everything in performance marketing be willing to test uh and and be willing to to go with what the data says which leads me to my next question which is like at what point what what sort of volume do you need to have and, and how do you sort of think about testing when it comes to a b testing with email rates like almost every platform now has very simple ways that you can run you know headline a b tests for instance how do you think about optimizing email flows uh when, when you're knee deep in them julian yeah, um, I mean, I would say there's probably the, the lowest hanging fruit is your is your uh, is your best results uh, overall. So like the three things that um, that people see before they even open the email are the best three things to test, and that's who the email is coming from, what the subject line is, and what the preview text uh, implies or or uh, or you know makes them want to do. Uh, and you can you can do really, really interesting combinations just with those three elements um, that, can, that can cause sky high open rates that you just never really expected from really, really small tweaks. I have a again, not having been super involved in email. Um, do you find that a lot of the times like a certain, like is, is an open rate just one piece of the puzzle in the same way CTR is in Facebook? Like is a lot of the time one line of text maybe gonna have a fantastic open rate, but not as great of a conversion rate on the click? Like do you see a lot of variance to that or is it usually a little bit more consistent where if the content's the same? I would say it, the variances can be huge. And, and most of that is, did you provide the user with what they actually wanted when they read the message? Like 
did they look at your subject line and get the content that you promised them? Re um, recently, I've been that that question just came for recently on like a lot of the like more modern trendy brands. I've been seeing just bizarre clickbaity headlines come through recently. Like I have this one that's literally just the word hot dogs all go in the subject line. It says hot dogs, hot dogs, hot dogs. The preview text is just hot dogs, hot dogs, hot dogs, and it's a T-shirt with like little hot dogs on it. And it's like, <laughs> like do you do you find those like really like shock awe call it clickbaity um, titles have a place nowadays, or do you find more like delivering value on the front end? I mean, I, I always err on the side of delivering value. Um, I think, you, you know, maybe what's happening there is someone's doing some serious testing and seeing, you know, seeing how often they can get you to open those emails time and time again with those, like if they send you five emails with five super clickbaity uh, subject lines, how many of them are you gonna open? It, it like a, a lot of the times, uh, and this has to do with frequency of emails as well, you almost want to push people to the limit so that you can see the maximum amount of effort uh, that you can put in before you start to see a downward trend in, in your metrics. So, you know, how, how, how many times a week can you email somebody, email an audience list before you start to see your open rates drop drastically or your spam complaints go up? Um, so yeah, I would say that uh, we're, we are seeing a lot more uh, creativity in, in, uh, in subject lines. Um, but I, once again, to go back to your point, Brett, is like, how much, how much is it worth getting an open to lose their trust, right? Like, your example was, was relatively relevant because the person's selling a hot dog t-shirt. But if they're not, and they're just using it to get you to open the email, it, is it really, was it worth all the time to create that killer headline? I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm a little unconvinced. Yeah. Also, I can't think of a more targeted email than hot dogs, hot dogs, hot dogs going to a guy like you, Brett. <laughs> I, almost, I, you, I, you, I, I actually went the shirt and like checked out shipping, but like I almost. I, I'm very <laughs> surprised I you I haven't. Bought like, it. Man. That's why it's so fresh in my mind, just because I haven't opened an email from these people in ages, and it's just like it stands out like a sore thumb in your inbox when it's just something yeah. super repetitive. And I was like, what? The, what is this? You, you know, who yeah. doesn't? Oh, sorry. No, no. And, and just to quickly touch on that, you know, there is something to be said for being just as disruptive in the inbox as you want to be on platforms like Facebook, right? Like if, if you can, we're all so, I don't know how many emails you guys get a day. I, I'm probably a special case, but I'm like up in the multiple hundreds across different inboxes. And um, if there's that one subject line that really catches my eye, even if I know they're just going to try and sell me, sometimes I'll still open it. As a marketer, of course, right? You always yeah, gotta as a marketer, yeah. yeah uh, okay. an another thing to look into um, is, especially right now, um, go sign up to a bunch of uh, national political candidates' email lists because they raise millions and millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars through email, and their direct response tactics are fucking insane. And it's like you'll see you'll see things that look like it was sent from the candidate's iPhone. And then you'll get that same email forwarded from the campaign manager later and all this kind of stuff. It's fascinating. And it, it, it's, it's all applicable tactics to both e-commerce and lead generation. Um, it's, it's really cool stuff. And I mean, it could be crazy, but I would follow people on both sides of the line as well. Follow some, some heavy Republicans, follow some heavy Democrats, see what's out there. Just, I, I just have one more question, just like I'm really liking this rabbit hole, just based on the, um, when you're saying like, how far is it worth to segment stuff? Um, do you find when we're when you're dealing with really large lists, 
do you find there to be value in segmenting on very specific things? Like let's say a user comes in and let's say you use homeowners and rent, or maybe that's even a little bit too, too open-ended. Like let's say somebody comes in, maybe you send different emails to somebody that's aged 15 to 20 opposed to 20 to 25. Like, do you find that segmenting within your lists and then doing split tests within that shows value? Or is that kind of just spreading it too thin? I mean, it, it's, it's the same as media buying on my end. Like, it's the common issue. Like, where is it worth, like, is it worth putting all your money in one asset and make a decision on that or spreading it really thin and spending all your budget and trying to, like, make all these smaller optimizations that spend all your money? Like, where, do you, is there a sweet spot there or is it kind of a, a case by case? I mean, I would say it's case by case, but yeah, it depends entirely. Yeah, it, it's case by case because it depends on on um, on the uh, the time to sale for for the customer. Um, you know, in terms of segmentation, there's like a typical rule of like 30, 60, and 90 day engagement. But then there's also uh, response. You know, there's also segmentation based on interest, segmentation based on um, on like view time. Like you can really there, with the way that ESPs are right now, you can really segment out customers for almost like individual personality characteristics, but you have to be wary of your time and, and also of your volume. So if, if you're talking in terms of a large, a really large list, I would say it's probably more worth your time to get super, super granular with those unique dispositions and those unique things that, um, because you have such a large audience, you can actually test. Uh, you need a very, you need a pretty high volume of audience members to be able to to test a lot of things. So um, it's a hard answer, actually. It's it's an, and it's a really good question. I wanted to bring it back to yeah, e-commerce for a second because I think you know everyone knows. Um, about you know um abandoned cart flows there's there's always you know that's built into sort of every every platform you someone abandons a cart they're gonna get get a series of emails i feel like one of the more neglected aspects that a lot of e-commerce owners uh, fail to put in into place is that post purchase flow and specifically oh, yeah. building in user generated content like as a as as frontline performance marketers we know that user user generated content is like liquid gold uh, you want, you need, you know, in order to, to, to continually scale, to break new audiences, you need to have that steady stream of user generated uh, content, whether it's unboxing videos or whether it's uh, reviews or uh, all those things. So how do you, like, what are the best ways in the post-purchase flow to go about getting UGC from clients, from customers rather? Yeah. I mean, the, it, again, it's case by case because depending on that person's connection to the brand, uh, it could be something as simple as just asking them, right? It could be just like, Hey, you, you know, we, we know you love our products. Um, you, if it's a first purchase, then you have to be a little bit more subtle about it. You really want to make sure, uh, that you're going about it in the right way where you're actually asking for their opinion, uh, seeing if there's any support you can give them, uh, again, you know, a, a to go back to a company like CrossNet, after that person makes that purchase, there's a lot of considerations from getting that uh, package in the mail to going out and playing their first game. Um, and, and that has a particular time window as well. So you have to consider, you know, how long is the, how long is the user going to take to use and, and actually get a feel for the product? Um, and then how quickly after that can we ask them for their opinion on it? And what's the best time window to do that? Like, do we want do we want to contact them the second they try it because that's when they're the most excited about it, or do we want to contact them a week after they played, uh, you know, CrossNet for with with their buddies like three four times? Totally. 
I don't know if that answers your question. It totally does. Yeah. Okay. I think it does. Uh, emojis. Where do we stand on emo- again? It's case by case. I know, but I, I know love- I know you're an emoji guy. So just talk to emojis. me a little bit about emojis. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, once like once you you delve into emojis, um, you can get like typically I don't use them in any of the uh, the body text in an email. Um, I, I might use them to separate headings for certain things, uh, but typically you see them most utilized in the subject lines and preview text. Um, and there's all sorts of uh, opinions on them. Um, really, you have to test it for your own brand and see what's working for you. Um, you know, pre-subject line, post-subject line, pre-preview text, or halfway through your preview text, what's what's giving you the best results? And are you you know, are you actually using um, emojis that symbolize something? Like you can use you can use them instead of a word if you want to for for certain demographics and and like you know people in the younger generations they just like they can see an emoji and they like complete the sentence. Whereas somebody who's who's not used to seeing that like they're gonna be like what the why is there why is there pictures in the middle of my word? Uh, depending on, on how you use them, and they're actually quite powerful because they do evoke an emotional response uh, from from certain age demographics and just from certain people. We we found, we found on like especially like with anything that's remotely vibes well with one like political segment. Even just like the best examples, throwing an American flag on any little bit of ad copy and just having everything the exact same all of a sudden makes it like this patriotic product that's like it's amazing how much one little picture can convey to people like this just this just went from being some product to being an american made like for good for the state type of thing it's 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 amazing how much one thing can really convey emotion yeah it can have a really really strong emotional connection especially when you start getting into things like nationality uh you know canada day is coming up and um, I'd be really upset if I didn't see some Canadian flags in my inbox. So uh, I'm hoping I'm hoping to get some good content. I'm definitely putting some out there. Maybe maybe a couple more flags than I should. But do you have a go to? Like, do you have like a favorite emoji? Like, is there one that you just, like? I, like the rocket ship for me is one that I, I just use all the time because it's kind of like it's kind of like the mascot for Pilot House. So I find I find I'm leaning on the rocket ship quite a bit. I love the starry eyed guy. Or person, uh, the, the, red, the red dot man. There's there's a red circle that's literally just a red circle, and it's like it's the most invasive, like aggressive thing to show up on your page. Uh, <laughs> it's my favorite. I like I like you the bold red circles, and it's like you get what the hell is this type of thing? Like it's that's yeah. Cool. I mean, in terms of disrupting, there you know it you can do you can do a lot, and and t- sometimes using the wrong emoji gets a better response because people get confused and they need to know. Um, my favorite is is the is the bullhorns. I like I like the, the rock on the 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 stop sign on uh, on Facebook ads just crushes. Yeah, think, it's really good on email yeah. as well. Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, I think we just slammed through some uh, some awesome email stuff. Do we have any other commentary on email marketing? Any 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 closing words? What do we like? Yeah. What what's your message to to e commerce or to any potential client out there who's who feels like they're uh, you know not not doing the best job they can with email, Julian. Do better, man. Come on. You can be <laughs> trying way harder. Like it's such an, it's such a low hanging fruit for, for a company who's put in so much work to get these people onto their list already. Like why just get them there and then do nothing with it. Um, 
you know, figure out, figure out what the customer is looking for after they opt in and give it to them. Um, and, and make sure that you're, that you're considering their viewpoint, not necessarily your bottom line along the journey. Um, so that you're, you're providing that value. Um, I, I think also it's really important and a lot of people don't know this is, um, you can really ruin your, your sending reputation. So like you get no, no matter what, ESP you're using if you're on MailChimp or Klaviyo or whatever, you can um, you can harm your sending reputation. If you're on one of those bigger bigger platforms, you get a lot of buffer with that by being part of their uh, sending platform. Um, but you but you can really you can really harm your reputation with people, and you can actually ruin your chances of getting to their inbox um, if you're constantly just spamming them every single day with like 30% off, 20% off, whatever it is. So make sure. Make sure you consider the customer journey. Uh, make sure you're segmenting properly by by uh, engagement, and um, and get rid of the people who aren't interested. Because some people will sign up and never touch any of your emails, and those people are actually harming you long term uh, because your your rate your open rates get lower, and you're not getting rid of those people. And you have all the data you need to know that that person's not an engaged user. Is that something that gets implemented where it's like, if no opens after mail sent, delete from list? Yeah, so you can actually build right. out, um, you can actually build out a flow based on contact rating. A lot of the ESPs will have a contact rating associated uh, with, with an individual email address. Um, but it's something that I like to do uh, manually as well. So every three months I go into my accounts and see you know who who's been on here for three months and never opened an email and then i just i export them i export them all out and i scrub the list um maybe not three months depending on the the business's sales cycle obviously um but it's, it's super important and it also just like it's a waste of your time if you're if you're uh, trying to message people who don't care about your brand right like why not take the time to to make the message strong for the people who are opening every day instead the, the people who will end up buying from you. Love it. Yeah, I think, I think, ooh, I think sunsetting flows are, are among the most underused aspects in, in all of, of, of all email marketing. Like purge, purge the people that, 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 that aren't responding. Uh, it's better for them. It's better for you. It's better for your reputation. Uh, so 100%. So everyone out there, do better on your emails. If you want to talk to Pilot House, we're always up for a chat about, uh, about email marketing. And yeah, thanks for coming on uh, All Killer No Filler today, guys. Yeah, guys, that was fun. Yeah, thanks, Eric. Thanks, Julian. Good, Have a great, great weekend. Good one, man. See you guys soon. All right, guys, take her easy. Bye, guys. Now, if you haven't already, make sure that you are subscribed to Direct to Consumer by Pilot House. I want you to go search us on Apple. You can find us on Stitcher. We're on Spotify. We want to make sure that everyone starts subscribing to these podcasts uh, on as many channels as possible. So if you're listening to this podcast right now, go find us. Uh, we'll make sure that on this listing, uh, our other places are listed as well. But it's about time we, we, we start raising the, uh, the amount of subscriptions on these amazing podcasts.